bring him in. Awesome. It is. Welcome. Uh, let's begin. Hello and welcome to Dialogue Sunday Gospel Study, episode 10. This is June 7th, 2020. Today's study will be led by Dr. LaShawn Williams with attention to Alma 5, 6, and 7. I am Christian Kimball. I'm conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members, Michael Austin and Rebecca Deschweinitz are participating today in the background and may show up from time to time. Let me take a few minutes for dialogue business. Our entire 50 year, 50 plus year run of the dialogue, scholarship, personal essays, poetry, art, sermons, and more, including our most recent issue, are all available free online at dialoguejournal.com. There you can find links to other features, including our podcasts and our previous Gospel Sunday study sessions. And of course, a donate link, as free online also means dialogue depends on contributions. Right now, dialogue is soliciting poetry from writers of color for its spring 2021 issue, which will feature a panel on Joanna Brooks' new book, Mormonism and White Supremacy, as well as cover art by Marlena Maria Wilding. Poetry need not address Mormon culture or history. We hope to receive submissions by July 1st to meet our internal deadlines. And I'm using this platform to encourage those submissions. Submissions or questions can be sent to Elizabeth Garcia using the email address poetry, just the word poetry at dialoguejournal.com. A few words about today's mechanics. We are using our webinar format, which does not allow you to interrupt or to see each other, unfortunately, but does allow the large number of participants we have and does allow you to chat and pose questions. We ask as always that you do so respectfully and in keeping with our speaker's message. If there's time for discussion, we will pull comments and questions from the chat. We are recording this session and running a live stream on Facebook. We have experienced unexplained dropouts in the Facebook feed in the past. If that happens today, we will try to restart as quickly as possible. We ask your patience. Now, opening today. This is a dramatic and I'll get emotional. Um, hmm. This is a dramatic and tense time in our history. Okay, we recognize tomorrow, June 8th, as the anniversary of the end of the church's temple and priesthood restrictions. At the same time, we are grappling, I gotta get this, we are grappling individually and collectively as a nation, as a faith community, with the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and many others that bring us to a point of outrage. Outrage about our endemic systemic racism. In this context, I'm particularly pleased to introduce Dr. Sean Williams. Okay, as our teacher for this session. Before I make her introduction, I need to make our standard disclaimer. We asked Dr. Williams to teach today based on her talents, her dedication, her voice. We did not ask her to represent dialogue. 
or to be a spokesperson for this time or circumstance. We certainly did not ask and do not expect her to speak for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What Dr. Williams makes of the times and the scriptures is her voice. And for that voice, hmm. sorry, um, for that voice, I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Edson Williams. She is a lifetime member of the church by way of a Southern African-American part member military family. She is a licensed clinical social worker and owner of Relational Spaces, her private practice located in Orem, Utah, where she helps clients create change in the relationships that matter most. She's a co-founder of the Black LDS Legacy Committee. She is also a, an assistant professor at UVU. She's a divorced mom of three kiddos and enjoys teaching them to thoroughly engage the nuance of the gospel. Before Dr. Williams' lesson, uh, we will begin with an opening song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, sung by Ladisis, uh, Ladisi, sorry, Ladisi, and the opening prayer will be by James Jones. James is one of the hosts of the podcast Beyond the Block, which makes an effort to center the marginalized in Mormonism. James is a lifetime member of the church. He served his mission in South Africa, received his bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University. He works as a singer and voiceover artist, currently serves as a temple ordinance worker and as his elders quorum liturgical art specialist, and I understand is Dr. Williams' brother. We welcome and turn the machinery over to you, Michael. Gracious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am weak, I am old, through the storm, through the night, lead me on. To the light Take, Lord, take my hand Precious Lord And lead me home when my way grows dreary, precious Lord, linger near. 
light is almost gone at the Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for this Sunday, so much for the opportunities we have to come closer unto thee, to become more like thee, to take this time and this opportunity to listen to Dr. LaShawn and to be able to learn of her wisdom, learn from her wisdom, to be able to receive the messages that thou wouldst have us receive this day. We are especially mindful, Father, of those that are hurting at this time. Particularly in America, we ask a special blessing on our black siblings throughout the country who are hurting, who are seeking rest, who are seeking, who are seeking comfort, who are seeking, who are seeking thee. We pray that we might have the strength and the wisdom and the will to do what we can in our different spheres with our different talents, gifts, abilities, and privileges to do as thy son would and bring all unto thee to make available all the blessings and the joy that thou hast promised unto us, to all of our siblings in thee. We thank thee for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives us the tools that we need to both come closer unto thee and to provide means for others to do the same. We thank thee for the opportunity that we have to gather today. We thank thee for the faith of all those who are present today. We are thankful. We are thankful for thee, Father, and for the atonement of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and for the means it gives us to not only come closer to thee, but to help others do the same. 
to minister to others, to heal others. And we pray again that thy spirit, thy wisdom may be with us, that we might be able to be tools, to be instruments in thy hands of thy peace. And that as we do so, Father, we pray for the ability to empower others to do the same, that we may truly bring the world your truth. We pray a blessing on those in attendance today, that the Spirit might be with them, that as they hear Dr. LaShawn's words, that they may be able to receive them openly and that they may be able to apply them in their own lives. Again, we love thee, Father, and pray for these blessings and any others that thou seest fit to bestow upon us and upon those who are most in need right now, Father, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Let the church, may all who are gathered say amen. <sighs> all right. Thank you, James. Thank you, Christian, for the introduction. Thank you, Dialogue, for hosting. Um, thank you for that prayer. Thank you for bringing in to this meeting um, the spirit of our faith and our community in the spirit of our ancestors. As I begin, um, I have to I have to warn you that I'm I I have my words and, and I have my personality and I prefer engagement <laughs> more so than I prefer being at the pulpit pontificating or philosophizing or feeling like I am calling folks on the carpet or calling folks to the altar for repentance. But then I looked at the chapters I was assigned and I don't really know how to tell you any differently than what Alma says in chapter five. My friends, we are along for a ride and we are along for this ride together. Now, Alma five is almost 60 verses long. And I sat with Alma five and I sat with those words and then I got through them and I looked at six as a transition chapter and, and seven as a, okay, now I get to do the stuff that I really want to do chapter. And I thought about Alma and I read through his words and I'm just, I'm going to give you, a, that's like the, that's the five, six and seven, five. We are called, we are convicted. We are, we are brought to a remembrance of who we are and who we are to be. Six, Alma cleanses the church in Zarahemla, lays hands, sets apart leadership and then goes off to preach. You, we come to Alma 5 with Alma deciding um, that who he is and who he was and who he had been and who he wanted to be, this is Alma the Younger. This is Alma the son of Alma. This is Alma and the sons of Mosiah, who comes from power, privilege, prestige, expectation, and expertise, both for the good of the Lord and with a history of work against the Lord and against his church. And you see these young men who say, we do not want to be leaders. We need to go and repair the wrongs that we did in the community. We do not want to be king. So they said, okay, you don't want to be king. Will you be chief judge? 
by year nine, Alma says, I'm going back out to do the work. And that is where we meet him in chapter five. I will spend most of our time together in chapter five. As part of my words, I will introduce you to another song before we end our time together. And I appreciate someone giving me the time check, Sister Sister Williams, um, for where we're at. I'm watching the clock. I'm planning on approximately 20, 25 minutes. And then I would love for us to be able to engage the word so that we can engage the work. So in chapter five, we have about 60 verses of conviction from Alma the Younger, the chief judge. In chapter six, we have Alma doing the work to cleanse where he stood and to move on to chapter seven, where he goes to the people in Gideon. Gideon named after a man who was slain for trying to keep the word of God as it was up against someone who was trying to destroy the word of God. And in the Valley of Gideon, people settled. And he goes and he hopes that his heart can be full of joy as he meets with the people in Gideon. And it is because they're doing what needs to be done. And they are um, a bit of a relief and a reward to him after the hard work he does among his own people in the land of Zarahemla. Now, as I am teaching, as I mentioned before, I'm a mother of three, and so this is possible to happen during the process. Um, But as I continue, um, and as we continue to gather, this work is important because of this generation. (laughs) Because of what it is that we will be sharing. Hey, can you come close the door? And because of what we will be creating as our fabric together. So the five through seven, there's your summary for what we're going to do. If we get there, I will be surprised. If we do not, I will be doing the work that I intended to do. As we begin, as we begin, I would be remiss Do not say thank you to Elijah, to Jane, to Greenflake, to Samuel and Amanda Chambers, to Wynetta, to Joseph Freeman, to Havelkio Martins, to Anthony and Mary, to Kathy and Darius, to Dora, to my pioneers, to my ancestors, to me. The names that I read to you just now are from the first shirt that we created as we started our Black LDS Legacy Conference. My shout out goes to my committee members, my sisters who came together in 2013 and said, how do we continue here together? How do we continue in this faith together? I honor the work that we put in to see each other, to hold each other, to create and to maintain space for others that are like us, for others who struggle, for others who look for connection. Um, It is with you all in mind and with you all in my heart that I work to engage us with the words of Alma. If we start in chapter five, we have Alma engaging his people in the history 
of their people. And I'm going to simply read these verses to you because this is talking about how we are to be delivered. And in chapters one, in verses one through four, he says, I've been consecrated by my father Alma to be a high priest over the church of God. He having power and authority from God to do these things. You see Alma stepping into and reminding people of being consecrated into this work by power and by authority, inclusive of who he was, inclusive of who he could be, and inclusive of the expectations placed upon him by his name, by his birthright, and because of his experiences. We will say, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Alma is being qualified and reminding people of his qualifications. Behold, I say unto you that he began to establish a church in the land which was in the borders of Nephi, yea, the land which was called the land of Mormon, yea, and he did baptize his brethren in the waters of Mormon. I wondered about the separation for Alma to say he baptized his brethren versus he baptized our brethren. As we come from words of Mormon into uh, Mosiah and Alma, I have learned from the words of Reverend Fatima Saleh and Margaret Olson Hemming that how we use language matters. The my versus the your, the our and the us. And I looked at Alma as he engaged and began to preach and said he did baptize his brother and speaking of his father in the waters of Mormon. And I say unto you, they were delivered out of the hands of the people of, the, of King Noah by the mercy and power of God. And I read through these verses as he talks about deliverance, not once, but twice. He talks about God's mercy, not once, but twice. He talks about God's power, not once, but twice. And again, after they were delivered from the people of Noah, they were again brought into bondage in the wilderness. They were in captivity. And the Lord did deliver them out of bondage by the power of his word. And we were brought into this land. And here we began to establish the church of God throughout this land also. Deliverance from bondage. Deliverance from difficulty by mercy. Delivered into justice, we can assume. We can pray and we can hope. Verse 6. He now calls to each of us, and now, behold, I say unto you, my brethren, you that belong to this church, not you who belong outside of the church, not you who are here within the sound of my voice, but I say unto you, my brethren, who are members of this church, I was struck by his words. Have you sufficiently retained in remembrance? What does it mean to sufficiently retain in remembrance? Does that mean, have you honored and had an anniversary day, one day a year, one time a year, and you check the box and you move on? What does it mean to sufficiently retain in remembrance? And he's asking this question of them, and I ask this question of us. Have we sufficiently retained in remembrance who we are, what our history is? Do we do so in all ways that are important to our membership? And he says, have you sufficiently retained in remembrance the captivity of your fathers? Again, your fathers, not our fathers. Have you sufficiently retained in remembrance that captivity of your fathers? 
Yea, and have you sufficiently retained in remembrance his mercy and long suffering towards them? And moreover, have you sufficiently retained in remembrance that he has delivered their souls from hell? Now, you may be like me. And sometimes you're reading the scripture and you're like, okay, okay, okay. We're talking to the bad guys, right? So are we the good guys or the bad guys? Like, how should I be reading this scripture? Read it as someone who is to be convicted because I'm being spoken to, or is it them? Is it them that has done the work and I'm looking at the bad guys because I'm not them? I'm looking at them because I have to read this from the perspective of, well, no, I'm not being convicted. I'm not being called to repentance. This is him talking to them because that's what we do. We tell them, have you done what you're supposed to do? And I sat and I thought, and I said, why do I need to be part of the good guys? What if I am the bad guys also? What if I have moments where I am both convicted? Where if I have moments where I am calling? Do I need to be the bad guys? Do I need to be the good guys? I come from people who have been taught for too long that we were the bad guys through our words, through our scriptures, from our leadership. And we have been talked to because of beliefs in the badness attached to the biology of the chemicals in my skin and how it responds to the sun. And as I sat and I thought, well, okay, okay, who, is he talking to the bad guys or the good guys? Then I thought of Alma and his language to separate himself and to say, I'm now calling you to repentance. And this is the same Alma who needed to repent. And I thought about the power that would have come in Alma 5 had he said, hey, I've been there. I know what this is like. I know where you're at. I understand why you need mercy because I too needed mercy. And as we talk today, brothers and sisters, about what it means to be in a position to affect change, a position of power or privilege, if you will, the power of saying your story. I've been there. I know what this looks like. I know what it's like to be the bad guy who then turns into the good guy and who gets to just kind of skip scot-free into power and influence. If you get caught up and well, is this about the bad guys and the good guys and which one am I? I just ask you to be mindful of that question as it arises, each time it arises, and say, I need to listen to both. Chapter, uh, verse 7, it says that after have you re- sufficiently retained a sufficient, a, a sufficient retaining. I think about retaining walls and rocks. Have I sufficiently retained, have I sufficiently created a structure that allows me to hold on to what I need to hold on to so that I'm not overwhelmed, overpowered, overtaken, and pushed into a place of paralysis? Have I sufficiently retained, have I sufficiently retained a remembrance? To me, that sounds like an active engagement that I'm not too far removed from remembering the effect and the impact of my past and my history. After he says, have you sufficiently retained in remembrance that he has delivered their souls from hell? Alma chapter five is not necessarily um, a gentle chapter. These are super strong words that Alma is using. And there's going to be a desire to say, yeah, I'm on the Alma side. I'm the one that's saying, hey, you all need to remember these things. But there's also 
a need to say I'm on the side that's being asked if I have a sufficient retention in my remembrance of my story and my history. He changed their hearts in verse seven. He awakened them out of a deep sleep and they awoke unto God. They awoke unto God. They were in the midst of darkness. Behold, nevertheless, their souls were illuminated by the light of the everlasting word. They were encircled about by the bands of death and the chains of hell and an everlasting destruction did await them. And now I ask of you, my brethren, were they destroyed? Behold, I say unto you, nay, they were not. I can't help but think, as Alma was giving these words, he thought of himself and the sons of Mosiah. And I go back and I read these words and I say, Behold, he changed our hearts. Yea, he awakened us out of a deep sleep and we awoke unto God. Those days that Alma could not speak and that his soul was wrecked upon by all of his actions. Behold, we were in the midst of darkness. Nevertheless, our souls were illuminated by the light of the everlasting word. The remembrance that Alma held on to the words of his father who was son and had words fall on deaf ears, but the love of a parent to continue to say, if I just keep preaching to you that God loves you, that God exists, that God is, and because God is, you are, maybe, maybe at some point you will turn from your ways and turn to God. And I think of Alma. He changed our hearts. He awakened us out of a deep sleep and we awoke. I awoke unto God. Behold, I was in the midst of darkness. Nevertheless, my soul was illuminated by the light of the everlasting word given to him by his father who continued to believe, who possibly felt, you know, maybe I'm, this is my fault too because I had to be converted by Abinadi. Think of the fathers and the parents who said, what is my role? What is my connection to this? How do I reach my child? How do I end this? What I have passed on to my child, even if I have changed my life and I see it in my child, can I speak up? Can I speak into my child? Can I make this change? And does my child have to go through something so difficult that even I cannot save them from it, but because I planted a seed at some point, that illuminating word of God rests in their heart enough that it may be a bright light that awakens them unto God. Yea, they were circled about by the bands of death. Yea, we were encircled about by the bands of death. Yea, I was encircled about by the bands of death and the chains of hell. And an everlasting destruction did await me, did await us, did await them. Brothers and sisters, we are in verse 7. We are in verse 7. Seven being known as a number of completion. Brother Alma completes that part of his story and says, and now I ask of you, my brethren, were they destroyed? Were we destroyed? Was I destroyed? I say unto you, nay, they were not. We were not. I was not. Look at where Alma is now. 
Look at where he has been. Do you see yourself? If you can't, if you don't, I, 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 we must. Are, the, are we the good guys? Are we the bad guys? We are the guys. We are the girls. We are the people. We are the fallen. We are the ones who make mistakes. Can we see ourselves in the language? Can we liken the language? Not out there to them, but in here to us. That is our challenge. Verse 9, and again, I ask, were the bands of death broken and the chains of hell which encircled them about, were they loosed? I say unto you, yea, they were loosed and their souls did expand. Our souls did expand. My soul did expand. And they did sing redeeming love. And we did sing redeeming love. And I did sing redeeming love. And I say unto you that they are saved, that we are saved, that I am saved. And because they, we, I are saved, they, we, I can save, they, we, I will work to save. Because if I see it happening to you, the thing that I have been through, the thing that I am working against, but the thing that I can't name from my position from my power. I can't name me in it, but I will talk to you about them because I will work to help save not just you, but in saving you, I can save myself too. Brothers and sisters, we are in verse 10 of 60. I promise I won't do this the entire way, but I, I've got to lay this foundation very quickly and very strongly so that you understand when I take you where we're going, you will see why being on the eve of a prominent anniversary in our faith. It is so important that not just today, but to every day, every year in June, not just on the 8th, but I expand and I will challenge you that on Juneteenth, you have these conversations as well because my freedom is tied to your freedom. And if I am not free and if my people are not free, you certainly are not free. Because if I am being oppressed, who is oppressing me? Who is speaking out against that oppression, brothers and sisters? That is where we are going today. Verse 10. Verse 10. And now I ask of you, on what conditions are they saved? On what conditions are we saved? On what conditions am I saved? Yea, what grounds had they to hope for salvation? What grounds do we have to hope for salvation? What grounds do I have to hope for salvation? What is the cause of their being loosed from the bands of death, yea, and also the chains of hell? He's not mincing words. He is not mincing words. The biggest thing that so many of us fear is this idea that we'll be banished or sent to hell, and he speaks of hell directly here. Chains of hell, bondage. How can we be loosed from the bands of death, yea, and also the chains of hell? So the bands of death and the chains of hell are two different but suffocating negative things that we do not want to be associated with or attached to either by experiencing it, but brothers and sisters being the ones who make that experience for others. The bands of death, the chains of hell. If I am complicit in a system that allows others to be banded to death, if I'm complicit in a system that allows others to be chained in a hellish living, in a hellish environment, I have a responsibility. Verse 11, behold, I can tell you, did not my father Alma believe in the words which were delivered by the mouth of Abinadi? Who was Alma the elder at that time? You see a consistent pattern? 
of men who struggled but were safe and not having to acknowledge that struggle, men who struggled and who were actively, evilly working and living but doing so from comfort and not having to worry about it because they were taken care of by a system that allowed it. So he says, did not my father Alma believe in the words which were delivered by the mouth of Abinadi, a man who was chained, a man who was imprisoned, a man who was oppressed, who stood in front of those priests of Noah and converted, attempted to convert all, but reached one. I'm reminded of the 99 and the one, going after the one. Now, I don't know that, Alma, that Abinadi said, I'm going to try and get Alma. He said, I'm going to try and get somebody. He got one, and that one got thousands. Brothers and sisters, leaving the 99 and going for the one to save one who could potentially save and bring thousands. And was he not a holy prophet? Did he not speak the words of God and my father Alma believed them? His father Alma, who believed those words, who then believed in his son and prayed for his son when his son did not believe those words, when his son had the power, the ability, the entitlement, the privilege to not believe those words and not only not believe them and just let it go, but to then go out and to actively work against others who did believe those words. His father Alma believed those words. In Alma 5, I see a son recognizing and experiencing just a little bit of some of what his father may have experienced. And Alma, because of who Alma is, Alma the Younger is not someone who worries about using his voice because he went out and used it for the forces of destruction, but now he is using it to attempt to repair destruction. Is he doing it perfectly? No, not in my opinion, because he's not putting himself in there to say, hey, this was me. I understand where you are. I want us to repair and to get to a good place because they had just barely experienced it. We're at the beginnings of our, of our cycles of the prosperity gospel. They worked really hard. They did really good things. They shared. They took care of the needy. They took care of those who were poor and who were sick and who were naked, and they did those things, and then they got comfortable. Then they got comfortable. Did he not speak the words of God and my father Alma believed them? And according to his faith, there was a mighty change wrought in his heart. Behold, I say unto you that this is all true. And behold, he preached the word unto your fathers. And a mighty change was also wrought in their hearts. And they humbled themselves and put their trust in the true and living God. And behold, they were faithful until the end. Therefore, they were saved. He changed their hearts awakened them from a deep sleep. They awoke unto God. They were not destroyed. Their souls expanded. They are saved. So we move now into Alma's call. We move now into Alma's work. And now behold, I ask of you, my brethren of the church, my brethren of the church. Now you see Alma's personal language, his connecting language with his brethren of the church. Have ye spiritually been born of God? This is not new information. This is a call to remembrance, a sufficient retention of remembrance. Have ye been spiritually born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenances? Have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? And I, I, I sit with the, with the question, have ye received his image in your countenances? And I think about what that means for me. And I think about our new logo. And I think about, well, do, is that the image that I have to have on my countenance or is there more? 
are there additional options that I can have in my countenance or must I look like what we are saying we represent in our new logo as an institution, as a truth bringer, as a truth sharer? Is that the countenance that I want engraven upon me? Or is it as I think I would feel when I stand before God? Is it that deep and abiding love, the piercing look that sees me, knows me, loves me, that sees to the core of his creation and says, I created you for this purpose. Are you living into it, my daughter? Are you living into it, dear sister? Are you living into it, dear brother? Are you living into how I created you, my child? That countenance. That countenance. Have I received that image in my countenance? And do I seek that image in the countenance of others? He asks, do you exercise faith in the redemption of of him who created you? Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality and this corruption raised in incorruption to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in this, your mortal body? I love this verse because he is asking us to see our trajectory with where I'm at right now. Can I see myself there? Can I see myself then? Can I see myself having to answer to God for who he created me to be? Can I see myself? Can you begin today with your end in mind? Can you understand and see your trajectory towards the judgment seat? And if you can, what do you see? In verse 16, I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, come unto me, ye blessed For behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. Not upon like your household, but upon the face of the earth. We are people who say we will bring the world his truth. Can we see ourselves being called ye blessed to the Lord in that day? Your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. Brothers and sisters, we are being called to do works of righteousness on the face of the earth. Beyond our yellow shirts and our helping hands, we are asked and we are being called to do the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. So when that voice comes, we hear the call. And he spends the rest of the chapter talking about what it's like to answer that call unfaithfully. I want to spend a moment when you think about the image of God's countenance in you. I don't necessarily connect very deeply with our new logo. I don't know that it, how it connects with others who don't necessarily associate themselves with our new logo, but I thought about the word of God when God says, if ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And then I said, the countenance of God is the countenance of the least of these. Is the countenance of the least of these showing up in me? Am I doing works of righteousness righteousness for the least of these so that I can do them unto my God? These questions are my questions. As I engage with Al, my brothers and sisters, we are only in verse 16, 17. 
Here is where we're going to do a little bit of skipping. I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew 5 in a second because I want you to understand that in the days that we are living in right now in 2020, this conversation matters. In verse 17, Alma says, Or do ye imagine to yourselves that ye can lie unto the Lord in that day and say, Lord, our works have been righteous works upon the face of the earth and, and that he will save you. Remember the countenance of God looking onto your face and it being engraven upon you where he sees into the core of the creation of who you are and who you are to be and who you were created to be as a child of God on this earth? Is he looking to the core of his creation when he looks at you? Is he seeing on his countenance, the least of these, is he seeing that countenance reflected from you to him? Because that is how you were created. That is how we are created. That is how I was created, was to bear the countenance of the least of these when people look at me. Do they see in my works that I bear the countenance of they who created me? Or do I imagine that I can lie to my God, and that I can say my works have been the works of righteousness? Do I find myself thinking, well, I'm in the good guy's camp. And you know what, Heavenly Father, when somebody said Black Lives Matter, I said all lives matter because I don't want anyone to be excluded. And then I thought to myself, when Christ in Matthew 5 which I'm going to go to, and I'm going to read to you, with you, for you, and for me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Imagine if someone had said, no, 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 Jesus. Blessed are the rich in spirit, too. You don't want to exclude anybody, Jesus. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh -uh. Blessed are happy people also, Jesus. They, they need comfort because they're happy. Like, and they're doing the right thing and just being happy. They're not sitting around and complaining and mourning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus, blessed are the proud. Like, why, why would you just say the meek? I don't understand. Like, blessed are the proud, too. The proud, you can't just leave those people out, Jesus. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Can you imagine Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters? Blessed are workers of evil. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after unrighteousness, after violence. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, responding to your Lord with but, but, but. Blessed are these, the opposite of this too. And we say the opposite because we're uncomfortable focusing on what Jesus says is important. I'm going to continue with the Beatitudes, but brothers and sisters, I implore you to think of the comparisons. Blessed are they, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, brother, this is where we want to be the good guys. Yes, I am the merciful one, right? I want to be included in that. So because they shall obtain mercy. But brothers and sisters, if someone says this group matters and you say all groups matter, brothers and sisters, you are against this idea of beatitudes. The Lord is saying focus here because here is where the pain is being experienced. And if we say focus everywhere, Jesus, are we demonstrating the countenance of he who created the core of our being. 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the judgmental, Jesus. Just bless everybody. Blessed are the pure in heart. Can you imagine? Blessed are the unclean in heart. Bless them too, Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus is going to bless everybody, but he's saying, I want you to focus here. This is the attitude I want you to pick up. This is the attitude I want you to carry. This is the attitude I want you to exemplify. If you are to call yourselves disciples, followers of me, if you are to be disciplined in following me, I need you to say these words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, what about the people that are warmongers, Jesus? What about them? It should be obvious. But if we have, if we have to ask the question, it's because we are refusing to hear the call. The call says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the silencers. If I feel that I'm trying to make peace by saying, hey, focus on everything, not just one thing. I'm not actually a peacemaker. I'm silencing. I'm weaponizing words. I'm denying my countenance, which is to be representative of the least of these. Can the least of these see me and see themselves? Can I look at the least of these and see my God? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we read, yes, you know, because I said these things and I'm being persecuted. I am now being oppressed. This is just like when black people were denied the priesthood. I'm being treated like that, but I was okay when it was happening to them. I'm not okay if it's happening to me. Beware, brothers and sisters of this rhetoric. Beware. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Beware that you do not jump to be included in that category. If ever you have been saying, well, you have to include this too, because I don't want to focus on this and I'll be, I'll be explicit. And I do not represent dialogue. I represent me. Um, I will be explicit brothers and sisters. If you are hearing black lives matter and saying, no, 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 no. All lives matter. You are silencing and you're weaponizing. You're damaging the countenance that's supposed to be seen on you with you because of you through you. You're not holding on to a sufficient retention of remembrance. Because if you believe that all lives matter, you absolutely should be saying, you know, right now, Black lives matter because all lives matter. There's always a way to repair. There's always a way to include, but beware that you do not silence as your process of inclusion. So I jump to the Beatitudes because I want to get back to what is being said in Alma 5, brothers and sisters, we are only in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, we sit on the eve of June 8th, 1978. We sit on the eve of June 8th, 2020. What is our countenance? What is the sufficient retention of our remembrance? Verse 19, Brother Alma says, I say unto you, can ye look up to God at that day with a pure heart and clean hands? I say unto you, can you look up having the image of God engraven upon your countenances? Can you look up and can you sustain yourself in the face of a God who created you and who loves you and desires for you to reach that potential? to strive for it, to fall and to get back up, to take one step after another after another into how 
into who you are created to be. We sit on the eve of the announcement, our announcement to the world. We sit on the eve of their announcement, the leadership's announcement to the world. Brothers and sisters, listen to language. We sit on the eve of our announcement to the world, my announcement, your announcement, our announcement as a people, as a faith. We sit on the eve of our announcement to the world, our faith in the redemption of him who created us when we announced to the world and then sustained it at the 148th semi-annual conference of the Church of Jesus Christ, to whom it may concern. I'm reading official declaration too, feel free to follow along with me. We begin, the Book of Mormon teaches that all are alike unto God, including black and white, bond and free, male and female, 2 Nephi 26, 33. Throughout the history of the church, people of every race and ethnicity in many countries have been baptized and have lived as faithful members of the church. During Joseph Smith's lifetime, a few black male members of the church were ordained to the priesthood. Early in its history, church leaders stopped conferring the priesthood on black males of African descent. Church records offer no clear insights, and I would say revelations, into the origins of this practice. Church leaders believed that a revelation from God was needed to alter this practice and prayerfully sought guidance. The revelation came to church president, Spencer W. Kimball, and was affirmed to other church leaders in the Salt Lake Temple on June 1st, 1978. The revelation removed all restrictions with regard to race that once applied to the priesthood. And in September, we said, to whom it may concern, on September 30th, 1978, at the 148th semi-annual general conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the following was presented by President N. Eldon Tanner, first counselor in the first presidency of the church. In early June of this year, the First Presidency announced that a revelation had been received by President Spencer W. Kimball extending priesthood and temple blessings to all worthy male members of the church. A quick departure. Worthy still attaches value statements. I ask that when you think not value, all of us are worthy. The worth of souls is great in the sight of God. I, I exist worthy. Ready and prepared is how I have helped myself to read this statement. President Kimball has asked that I advise the conference that after he received this revelation, which came to him after extended meditation and prayer in the sacred rooms of the Holy Temple, he presented it to his counselors who accepted it and approved it. It was then presented to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles who unanimously approved it and was subsequently presented to all other general authorities who likewise approved it unanimously. President Kimball has asked that I now read this letter. June 8th, 1978. To all general and local priesthood officers of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints throughout the world. Dear brethren, as we have witnessed the expansion of the work of the Lord over the earth, we have been grateful that people of many nations have responded to the message of the restored gospel and have joined the church in ever-increasing numbers this in turn has inspired us with the desire to extend to every worthy member of the church all of the privileges and blessings which the gospel 
affords. Aware of the promises made by the prophets and presidents of the church who have preceded us, that at some time in God's eternal plan, all of our brethren who are worthy may receive the priesthood and witnessing the faithfulness of those from whom the priesthood has been withheld. Witnessing the faithfulness of those from whom the priesthood has been withheld. Witnessing the faithfulness and the redemption of him who created us of those from which the priesthood has been withheld. We have pleaded long and earnestly in behalf of these, our faithful brethren, spending many hours in the upper room of the temple, supplicating the Lord for divine guidance. He has heard our prayers and by revelation has confirmed that the long promised day has come when every faithful, worthy man in the church may receive the holy priesthood with power to exercise its divine authority and enjoy with his loved ones every blessing that flows therefrom, including the blessings of the temple. Accordingly, all worthy members of the church, worthy male members of the church may be ordained to the priesthood without regard for race or color. Priesthood leaders are instructed to follow the policy and carefully interviewing all candidates for ordination to either the Aaronic or the Melchizedek priesthood to ensure that they meet established standards for worthiness. We declare with soberness that the Lord has now made known his will for the blessing of all his children throughout the earth who will hearken to the voice of his authorized servants and prepare themselves to receive every blessing of the gospel. Sincerely yours, Spencer W. Kimball, N. Eldon Tanner, Marion G. Romney, the first presidency. Recognizing Spencer W. Kimball as the prophet, seer, and revelator, and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it is proposed that we as a constituent assembly accept this revelation as the word and will of the Lord. All in favor, please signify by raising your right hand. Any opposed by the same sign. The vote to sustain the foregoing motion was unanimous in the affirmative. Salt Lake City, Utah, September 30th, 1978. Brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to this next piece. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom. No, 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 no,
Brothers and sisters, can you lie to the Lord? Verse 17. Can you lie? Can you endeavor to lie to the Lord? Do you imagine to yourselves that ye can lie unto the Lord in that day and say, Lord, our works have been righteous works upon the face of the earth and that he will save you? Will he save you in your sins? We've heard that, right? Let's engage it. Verse 18, or otherwise, can ye imagine yourselves brought before the tribunal of God with your souls filled with guilt and remorse, having a remembrance of all your guilt, yea, a perfect remembrance of all your wickedness, yea, a remembrance that ye have set at defiance the commandments of God? Is Alma talking to me, to you, or to himself, or all at once? Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom. Brothers and sisters, I say unto you, can ye look up to God at that day with a pure heart and clean hands? I say unto you, can you look up having the image of God engraven upon your countenances? And for us, can you look up having the image, images of God's engraven upon your countenance? I say unto you, can ye think of being saved when ye have yielded yourselves to become subjects to the devil? Is he talking to you, to us, to them, to me? To whom is Alma speaking? What depths he had to pull from to remember where he had been, to be the leader of people who he is trying to say, this is where we're going, to be disappointed that again we have fallen, and to say, oh, freedom. Oh, freedom. Brothers and sisters, we join with many throughout this nation and around the world who are deeply saddened at recent evidences of racism and a blatant disregard for human life. 
We abhor the reality that some would deny others respect and the most basic of freedoms because of the color of his or her skin. We are also saddened when these assaults on human dignity lead to escalating violence and unrest. The creator of us all calls on each of us to abandon attitudes of prejudice against any group of God's children. Any of us who has prejudice toward another race needs to repent. During the Savior's earthly mission, he constantly ministered to those who were excluded, marginalized, judged, overlooked, abused, and discounted. As his followers, can we do anything less? The answer is no. We believe in freedom, kindness, and fairness for all of God's children, President Nelson exclaims. Let us be clear. We our brothers and sisters, each of us, the child of a loving father in heaven, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, invites all to come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. Second Nephi 26, 33. It behooves each of us to do whatever we can in our spheres of influence to preserve the dignity and respect every son and daughter of God deserves. You hear President Nelson talking about us. You hear Alma talking about they and them, possibly struggling to say us and we, potentially struggling to say I, but you hear our prophet today saying each of us has a responsibility to use our spheres of influence and our spheres of influence cover the face of this world for our righteousness works. Our spheres of influence, whatever we can, we are behooved to do whatever we can in our spheres of influence to preserve the dignity and respect every son and daughter and person of God deserves. Not that they've earned, not that they've shown willingness or readiness to receive, nothing about their worthiness, their respect and dignity every son, daughter, and child of God deserves. Any nation can only be as great as its people. That requires citizens to cultivate a moral compass that helps them distinguish between right and wrong. Brothers and sisters, how do we cultivate this moral compass? It does not mean that we arrive with the moral compass ready and put on a plate. We have to cultivate it. When you cultivate it, it means you're nourishing, you're feeding, you're washing, you're, you're taking care of, you're protecting, you are engaging, you are shifting, you're tweaking, you're adjusting the degrees, adjusting the degrees of your compass so that you are finding your true north for your morality. Now the rest of the statement gets to a point where I start degree, I start having a problem and disagreeing with President Nelson because I believe he missed a word. President says illegal acts such as looting, defacing, or destroying public or private property cannot be tolerated. President Nelson missed the word that illegal acts such as murdering and killing unarmed innocent people cannot be tolerated. He missed the sentence. Start there and then say illegal acts such as looting, defacing, or destroying public or private property cannot be tolerated. I can restore a building. I cannot restore a life. Am I living a life that demonstrates that I will restore trust, that I will restore connection, that I will restore community so that we do not have to keep losing lives? We cannot continue tolerating losing life. We already have one who laid his life down 
we have the example. Are we willing to lay things down that no longer serve so that we can be of ultimate service? We already have the example. We already have the example of freedom. President Nelson continues, we need to foster our faith in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. We need to foster a fundamental respect for the human dignity of every human soul, regardless of their color, creed, or cause. And we need to work tirelessly to build bridges of understanding rather than creating walls of segregation. I plead with us to work together for peace, for mutual respect, and for an outpouring of love for all God's children. There's your all lives matter, right? An outpouring of love for all God's children. If someone is saying black lives matter and the prophet says all God's children, you say then black children of God matter because I have now been called by the president, the prophet seer and revelator of my faith to do an outpouring of love for God's black children. On the eve of our anniversary, my brothers and sisters, I am called to work together for peace, to work together for mutual respect, and for an outpouring of love for all God's children. Brothers and sisters, we are in verse 21. I say unto you, ye will know at that day that ye cannot be saved, for there can no man be saved except his garments are washed white. Yea, his garments must be purified until they are cleansed from all stain through the blood of him of whom it has been spoken by our fathers who should come to redeem his people for their sins. Brothers and sisters, pause with me for a moment. It says, except his garments, her garments, our garments, your garments, their garments, my garments are washed white. Not that they stayed white, not that they never got dirty, but that they are washed white washed. It means they have to go through a process to return to the core of their creation. To, to expand into the measure of their creation for us to be good. For God to look upon us and say, this is good. Okay? Except his garments are washed white. Washing is an act. It's a choice. I can let my garments continue to get dirtier. I can choose to wash them, but in washing them, I have to agitate them. I have to add in things to help clean. I've got to increase my knowledge base to cleanse my garments. Not accept his garments, stay white. So that means we are going to make mistakes and we are going to dirty our garments. But saints, this is simple. This is simple. This is baptism level simple. This is eight-year-old level simple. If I can enter into covenant with God at eight through the waters of baptism, this is simple. But I make a choice to take those steps. My baptismal covenant say I mourn with those that mourn. That is simple, brothers and sisters. My baptismal covenant say I bear one another's burdens. That is simple. My baptismal covenant say... I comfort those in need of comfort. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to look at these baptismal covenants. That was the only access my people had before June 8th, 1978. We were baptized and we remained. 
But in baptism, my baptism, your baptism, our baptism, their baptisms, we covenanted to bear one another's burdens. Remove the burden if you can. Make it simple. Prevent the burden for others if you can. Make it simple. Comfort those in need of comfort. Yes, me. Yes, you. I will comfort you. You will comfort me. But let's earn the right to be called comforters. I'm not entitled to you. I can't go and push my comfort upon you because I want to comfort those in need of comfort. If I have not done the work to earn the right to hear your story that needs comfort. I've got to earn the right. The Holy Spirit has earned the right because that was the gift given to me when I was baptized. As God sees me and sees the core of how he created me to be, that comforter is always welcome and knows how to show up. Earn the right to sit and comfort another person. The next verse says, and now I ask of you, my brethren, how will any of you feel if ye shall stand before the bar of God, if we shall stand before the bar of God, if I shall stand before the bar of God, if they shall stand before the bar of God, having your garments stained with blood and all manner of filthiness, behold, what will these things testify against you? Now, I, list, I looked at that verse and I was like, does that mean I was in a fight for justice and I got some blood on my garments? Will that testify of my commitment to the fight? Or have I not washed my garments? Have I not cleansed myself? Have I not gotten rid of these stains? that continue to show up and that continue to blemish the core of the creation that I am to be by my gods. Behold, will they, te- will they not testify that ye are murderers? Yea, and also that ye are guilty of all manner of wickedness. Do you hear the man having his own reckoning? Do you have the faith, the bravery, the courage to have your own reckoning? You must, if you're to comfort, you've got to experience a need for comfort so that you know how to comfort and succor other people. And that was what Christ was known to do. He knew how to suffer his people because he had been through something. He hadn't been through everything, but he had been through the emotional experiences that others had had, where even he cried out and said, are you sure? Do we have to keep doing this? Is there any other way? Please remove this cup. God did not walk in willingly, but he accepted the will of the God who created him at the core of who he's supposed to be and still asked for relief. Now, when you take that and you hear Alma, who has got to be wrestling with who he was, with who he is, with who he's being challenged to be, this guy, this is Alma the Younger coming out. I feel Alma was ready to fight people from his places of righteous indignation. Alma, Peter, me, like we could be our own little squad ready to fight people for Jesus. But you are hearing the strength of Alma saying, I'm calling you out because Alma knows what this was. For Alma to say, do you know that you're murderers? I don't remember. I mean, we had, we've had wars. 12,000 of them died. 6,000 of us died. Do you want to be known as murderers or will you go cleanse your garments? Will they not testify against you? Behold, my brethren, in verse 24, do you, be, do you suppose that such a one can have a place to sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and also all the holy prophets whose garments are cleansed 
and are spotless, pure and white. They were cleansed because they were dirty. You don't clean something that's already clean. You clean things that have to be cleaned. Sitting next to Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son. Sitting next to Abraham and Sarah, Sariah, Hagar. Sitting next to Abraham, sitting next to Isaac, who was willing to be sacrificed and trusted his father. Sitting next to Jacob, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and his coat. Jacob and his kingdom. Sitting next to these people whose garments have been cleansed because they did not start off, well, they started off clean. They didn't stay clean. But those garments had to be cleansed. Are we doing the work of cleansing our garments and cleansing ourselves so we can sit with people who learn from their experiences and rose to positions of prominence and power as we see Alma in chapter five? Are we doing our cleansing work? Garments who are, whose garments are cleansed does not mean that they stayed clean. Spotless, pure, and white because of the work they did to clean every time they got dirty to help every time they were asked to help. They got the help that they needed to make their garments clean. The learning that they gained to help keep their garments clean or to get new garments. We take upon ourselves the name of Christ. We call ourselves disciples of Christ, but are we only calling or are we acting as the name of Jesus Christ? Are we acting as disciples of Jesus Christ, are we working to the core of how we were created to be by our gods? After, he says, I say unto you, nay, except ye make our creator a liar from the beginning. Now you hear the language, our creator, a liar from the beginning, or suppose that he is a liar from the beginning. Ye cannot suppose that such can have a place in the kingdom of heaven, but they shall be cast out for they are the children of the kingdom of the devil. Alma wants you to hear this clearly. This is a, either you're with us or you're against us, but he's talking to us that are in the middle right now and need to make a decision about where we're going to stand. He's not talking about those who are already with God and saying, I'm doing the right thing. He's saying, you who are in this church, behaving as you're behaving, do you understand what you're doing to your garments right now? Are you willing to do the work to be cleansed? Are you doing the work? Now, would it have been powerful to me if Alma said, hey, this was my process? I would have loved that. I feel we need more examples of that as members in this church, as brothers and sisters in this work. I feel we need the examples of folks who say, hey, here's where I was. This is me now, but don't look only at me now. Look at me then, because this is also us. I've been on this side, I've been on that side, but I've done this work to get onto this side and to stay there because I'm cleansing my garments. I'm cleansing myself. I'm living into the core of how I was created to be by our gods. He says, and now behold, I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change of heart, if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can ye feel so now? The notion that you have to start from one point, be led through to ask, can ye feel so now? Ye walked keeping yourselves blameless before God. Could ye say if ye were called to die at this time within yourself that you've been sufficiently humble, that your garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ who will come to redeem his people from their sins? 
he hasn't come yet. But this belief that he will come and redeem, can you say right now, even though he hasn't come, can you say right now that you're doing the work to be cleansed? Behold, are ye stripped of pride, I say unto you. If ye are not, ye are not prepared to meet God. Behold, ye must prepare quickly. For the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand, and such a one hath not eternal life. Behold, I say, is there one among ye who is not stripped of envy? I say unto you that such a one is not prepared, and I would that he should repair quickly. For the hour is close at hand, and he knoweth not when the time shall come, for such a one is not found guiltless. And again, I say unto you, is there one among you that doth make a mock of his brother? Or that heapeth upon him persecutions, brothers and sisters, the things that I see, the George Floyd challenge on social media. Is there one among you that doth make a mock of his brother? Or that heapeth upon him persecutions? Woe unto such a one, for he is not prepared. And the time is at hand that he must repent or he cannot be saved. Our president has said anyone who holds prejudices must be called to repent. Each of us, any of us, 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 we must repent. Doesn't mean we go and say, hey, y'all need to repent. It can be true, right? Y'all need to. But if I'm saying y'all, that means I'm putting us in this up, us against them. That's you. That's not me. I'm good. I'm good. We. And because I love you, sister, because I love you, brother, I'm going to walk with you. We have this work to do. I'm going to mourn with you because I see you mourning. And if you don't know how to mourn, all you have to do is ask and you will receive a measure. You can't not mourn after you ask God. God's not going to say, you know what? I don't know how to help you. I'm sorry. Just skip this one. Sit this one out. Sit this one out. Just don't do it. God, I don't know how to mourn with them. I don't understand. I need you to try. And God will help. I don't know how to comfort them. God, how do I comfort somebody if I don't agree with what's going on? Does it say agree with those you need to agree with? No, it says comfort those in need of comfort. I don't need your agreement. I need your action. I need you to go and comfort. Mourn with those that mourn. Comfort for those that stand in need of comfort. Bear one another's burdens. Father, I don't know how to bear their burden. I will help you. Make their burden light. I will help you. Remove the burden. I will help you. Prevent the burden. I will help you. When you are burdened, know that the baptismal we have each made to God and to each other is to show up. It is to show up. It is to rid ourselves of dirty garments. It is to cleanse those garments. It is to wear our garments as badges of our commitment to this struggle with each other. We are to be doing the works of righteousness across the face of the earth. If we are to bring the world his truth, we have got to work to be works of righteousness across the face of the earth. And if that means I'm outside of my comfort zone, then I better tap into my ability to comfort, mourn with, bear, remove, prevent a burden. If I have that power and I have that ability and I have that responsibility, a covenant responsibility to do so by age eight, for many of us born into this church, by the moment we stepped out of the water, I covenanted to mourn with those that mourn, comforted those in need of comfort, bear the burden, remove the burden, prevent the burden. And if I don't know how I am to go ask of they who created me, how do I do it? If my superpower is in baked 
goods and I believe in comfort food. I'm gonna check to make sure you don't have any allergies before I bake something. I'm not just entitled to comfort you from my level of comfort. If I go and comfort you with like peanut brittle and you have a peanut allergy, I, it's not gonna work. Comfort those in need of comfort is not a 10 foot pole comfort because I still don't know how to do it. It's an engagement. It's an engagement, brothers and sisters. Mourning with those that mourn. I don't understand what it's like to be black in this country. I don't understand what it's like to be denied as black folk have been within my own faith. I don't know what that's like, but I'm going to comfort. I'm going to mourn with you because if it happened to me, I would hate it. Beware of yourselves that you do not wait until it happens to you to care. Begin engaging now. Begin mourning now with us in the church, outside of the church, Please be, please be like specifically attuned to the experiences of black members in this church who not only are dealing with what we're experiencing in our church and our, in our congregations and in our pews and having to engage with leadership around seeing, oh, okay, the looting, the rioting, everything else that bothers you, but death, death, eight minutes and 46 seconds of this one death, broken windows. Brothers and sisters, our starting point is delayed. Mourn with those that mourn because they're mourning, not because you agree. Comfort those in need of comfort, not because you need them to agree with you, but because they need comfort. Bear one another's burdens. Bear their burdens. Earn the right to say, hey, this is my burden too. They may have a superpower that is untapped because you have not connected because you feel bad about the burden. Bear the burden, remove the burden, prevent the burden. Brothers and sisters, that is how we are being called. Yea, even woe unto all ye workers of iniquity, repent, repent, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Behold, he sendeth an invitation unto all men but the arms of mercy are extended towards them. And he saith, repent, and I will receive you. Yea, he saith, come unto me, and ye shall partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Yea, ye shall eat and drink of the bread and the waters of life freely. Yea, come unto me and bring forth works of righteousness. And ye shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire. And then he talks about the trees. And he says, the axes are aimed at the roots of the trees, not a branch, not a leaf the roots of the trees, that if the tree is not bearing good fruit, it will be hewn down. Brothers and sisters, strengthen your roots. Strengthen your roots. This is not a bad apple. This is not a bad branch. This is an issue at our roots. Alma understands, sure, he may have been a branch on a tree, but that tree had strong roots. Alma returned to those roots as an example and a demonstration of his changed heart, his commitment to the seed that his father planted, that he wanted to see shine because he knew his life was at stake. Brothers and sisters, we, have, we cannot get to the point where our lives are at stake before we act. You are seeing people whose lives are at stake and we are still acting. You are seeing people whose lives are at stake and we are still acting. Do not wait until it comes to you for it to be important.
important to you. The good shepherd, verse 38, doth call you, and in his own name he doth call you, which is the name of Christ. And if ye will not hearken unto the voice of the good shepherd to the name by which ye are called, behold, ye are not the sheep of the good shepherd. I say unto you that whatsoever is good cometh from God, and whatsoever is evil cometh from the devil. Whosoever doeth this must receive the wages of the work that you do. Brothers and sisters, how are we looking to be paid? My brethren, I would now <laughs> that you should hear me, for I speak in the energy of my soul. Brothers and sisters, I speak from the energy of my soul. I echo the words of Brother Alma. For behold, I've spoken unto you plainly that ye cannot err. You can't say, well, you didn't tell me exactly to do this thing, Alma. I have spoken to you according to the commandments of God. I am called to speak after this manner according to the holy order of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Yea, I am commanded to stand and testify unto this people the things which have been spoken by our fathers concerning the things which are to come. And this is not all. Do you not suppose that I know of these things myself? Here, Alma brings himself in. Do you not suppose I know this stuff myself? Do you not suppose I have been, I've been here, brothers and sisters? Behold, I testify unto you that I do know that these things whereof I have spoken are true. And how do you suppose that I know of their surety? Behold, I say unto you, they're made known unto me by the Holy Spirit of God. Behold, I fasted and prayed many days that I might know these things of myself. Now listen, brothers and sisters, when things happen in our country, and we just we start most recently with the death of George Floyd, on May 28th, when I saw our president vacuuming, I was sitting down saying, you know what? He is vacuuming white supremacy from all the corners of the world. It's a, it's a, it's a parable, y'all. It's a parable because I'm trying to reach, to support, to sustain our president. I saw his statement come out days after that, and I had to sit with both. I had to be grateful that something was said, even if it was not said immediately the way that I wanted it to if it wasn't written the way that I would have liked for it to be, if I wish he had cut out certain parts or added certain things in to make it perfect for me, but I realize he's not speaking to me. He is speaking to us. It's not good guys and bad guys. It's we guys. It's us guys. It's us. To go and to push somebody else separate from me is to deny the fact that if this is a mirror I've got to look in, please let me look in the mirror. Please let me break that connection to anything inside of me that would damage the roots of the creation of the core of who I am to be. Alma continues to say, I fasted and prayed many days and I'm almost done y'all. I promise. I know it's been longer than 20 minutes, but I'm almost done. Behold, I say unto you, he said, I fasted and prayed many days that I might know these things of myself. And now I do know of myself that they are true for the Lord God hath made them manifest unto me by his Holy spirit. And this is the spirit of revelation, which is in me. And moreover, I say unto you that it has been thus revealed to me that the words which have been spoken by our fathers, our fathers, are true. Even so, according to the spirit of prophecy, which is in me, which is also by the manifestation of the spirit of God, I say unto you that I know of myself that whatsoever I shall say unto you concerning that which is to come is true. And I say unto you 
that I know that Jesus Christ shall come, yea, the Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and mercy and truth. And behold, it is he that cometh to take away the sins of the world, yea, the sins of every man who steadfastly believeth on his name and cleanses his garments, her garments, their garments, our garments. And now I say unto you that this is the order after which I'm called, yea, to preach unto my beloved brethren. Yea, and everyone that dwelleth in the land, yea, to preach unto all, both old and young, both bond and free, I say unto you, the aged and also the middle-aged and the rising generation, to cry unto them that they must repent and be born again. Yea, thus saith the Spirit, Repent, all ye ends of the earth, for the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand. Yea, the Son of God cometh in his glory, in his might, majesty, power, and dominion. Yea, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Spirit saith, Behold, the glory of the King of all the earth and also the King of heaven shall very soon shine forth among all the children of men. And also the Spirit saith unto me, Yea, crieth unto me with a mighty voice, saying, Go forth and say unto this people, Repent, for except ye repent, ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I say, again I say unto you, the Spirit saith, Behold, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit shall be hewn down and cast into the fire, yea, a fire which cannot be consumed, even an unquenchable fire. Behold and remember the Holy One hath spoken. And now, my beloved brethren, I say unto you, can ye withstand these sayings? Yea, can ye lay aside these things and trample the Holy One under your feet? Yea, can ye be puffed up in the pride of your hearts? Yea, will ye still persist in the wearing of costly apparel and setting your hearts upon the vain things of the world, upon your riches? Yea, will ye persist in supposing that ye are better than one another? Yea, will ye persist in the persecution of your brethren who humble themselves and do walk after the holy order of God wherewith they have been brought into this church, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and they do bring forth works which are meet for repentance? Yea, and will ye persist in turning your backs upon the poor and the needy and in withholding your substance from them? And finally, all ye that will persist in your wickedness, I say unto you that these are they who shall be hewn down and cast into the fire, except they speedily repent. And Alma was talking to his people in this church. Not them out there, but us in here. I told you we would only get through Alma 5. I'm surprised we have gotten this far, but brothers and sisters, we are called to live into the core of who God created us to be. We have to listen to Alma and say, now I say unto you, all you that are desirous to follow the voice of the good shepherd, come ye out from the wicked and be ye separate. Touch not their unclean things, and behold, their names shall be blotted out, that the names of the wicked shall not be numbered among the names of the righteous, that the word of God may be fulfilled, which saith, the names of the wicked shall not be mingled with the names of my people. For the names of the righteous shall be written in the book of life, and unto them will I grant an inheritance at my right hand. And now, my brethren, what have ye to say against this? I say unto you, if ye speak against it, it matters not, for the word of God must be fulfilled. June 8, 1978, it matters not what you speak of it or what you speak against it. The word of God must be fulfilled in my lifetime, in your lifetime, in our lifetime. 
And now I, Alma, do command you in the language of him who hath commanded me, that ye observe to do the words which I have spoken to you. I speak by way of command unto you that belong to the church, and unto these who do not belong to the church, I speak by way of invitation, saying, Come and be baptized unto repentance, that ye also may be partakers of the fruit of the tree of life. Final verse, brothers and sisters, as we go into these next days, these weeks, these months, these years, I'm reminded of the quote from Zora Neale Hurston that there are years that ask questions and there are years that answer. Brothers and sisters, we are in the years of answering. And one of the ways that we must answer one of the ways that we must answer is to understand who we are, who we invite, who we call to connection, who we invite into repair. Alma finally talks about shepherds. He says, for what shepherd is there among you, having many sheep, doth not watch over them, that the wolves enter not and devour his flock? And behold, if a wolf enter his flock, does he not drive him out? Yea, and at the last, if he can, he will destroy them. Now I say unto you that the good shepherd doth call after you. And if you will hearken unto his voice, he will bring you into his fold, and ye are his sheep. And he commandeth you that ye suffer no ravenous wolf to enter among you, that ye may not be destroyed, that we may not be destroyed, that I may not be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, keep watch, keep holding, keep reaching, keep trying, keep trying. Keep trying. To my faith ancestors and my literal ancestors, I hope that the words I have shared have been in the spirit of family the spirit of connection, the spirit of reconciliation, and the spirit of truth. When they initially asked me to speak, period, I said, who's speaking by near the anniversary? Is there a lesson by June 8th, 1978? I want that one because I want to focus on official declaration too. If you don't have me speaking, please make sure a Black person is speaking for the June 8th weekend. I did not know then that we would be here now. I'm grateful to dialogue because I got asked to switch my week and I almost considered it. And someone said, well, you know, you want to focus on OD2, official declaration two, we want that to happen as well. Let's make it work. I'm glad I didn't switch. Not, not that it would have been any different or not that it wouldn't have been a good lesson. It would have been a different lesson. Thanks. Let us do this together. Let us keep trying. Let us remember that we are to be mirrors of the countenance of those that created us. Let us work to see each other. Let us work to hold each other. Let us work to help each other. And I leave this with you in the name of our Savior and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, LaShawn. I... I have to say I've been teared up during all of the last hour and I'll talk through it. Um, we will close with thanks 
for all that we have experienced and enjoyed and been brought to repentance by. Thank you for that. Um, we will close with a closing song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, and a closing prayer by Janan Russell. A few words here. When I learned this song, this hymn, ooh. Take your time, brother. Take your time. <laughs> Take your time. When I learned this song, some, this hymn, some 35 years ago, um, it was, I learned it with the tradition of holding hands and singing together. We are in circumstances now where holding hands is difficult, but we can sing. We can join in the song. And as I understand the way we will be presented on the screen, the words will be there that we can join together. Um, a closing prayer will be offered by Janan Russell. Janan is a, currently a PhD student at Harvard in religious studies. She is specifically focusing on racial identity and religious expression among black Latter-day Saint women in the Afro-Atlantic. Her work has been featured in Mormon Feminist Essential Writings, a Book of Mormon Latter-day Saints, as well as the Atlantic Online and in Dialogue. Her essay, A Balm in Gilead, Reconciling Black Bodies Within a Mormon Imagination, appeared in the fall 2018 issue. Um, let us sing together.
May we bow our heads. Oh God, hear my voice. Lean with joy and hope, grief and mourning. Hear us this day. Amidst the terrors of death and hell that have been wrought upon my people, upon the least of these, I will not fear what the flesh can do to me. May the sins of white supremacy, racism, and oppression fall before the seat of justice and liberation and be cleansed from our hearts and tongues. May I remember the words, the good words and good works before me. The blessed upon the mountain are the feet of those who bring good works and salvation. As we continue to build the kingdom, let us not forget that the kingdom is not just in the hereafter, but here on earth. And that we not only build it for ourselves, but for those around us. We do not build on top of the least of these who work together in cooperation. We are so grateful for the words of LaShawn and those who've been able, been able to participate today. We remember the words that we hear today, we heard today. And go forth in justice. And remember that our God is a God of justice and liberation, not of destruction. May we May our hearts remain open to those who are suffering, to the least of these. May we grow together in Christ as one body. And I say these things in your blessed name. Ashe and amen. <laughs>